Hi there and welcome to Doxadeo Bloemfontein North. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the message. Time together. Okay, so how many of you like Legos? Any Lego fans? Yes, okay. Or just have kids, they love Legos, right. So I'm not too big of a fan of Legos. In fact, I kind of hate Legos, especially if they're misplaced. Anyone ever stepped on a Lego in your child's room? Excruciating pain. This, is, this creates chaos in your house. It's a beautiful Lego. It's yellow. It's got nice bumps on the back and holes in the front. It's got like, it's beautiful. So unique. Only a few other million just like it also. But we are like this Lego, right? But let me just quickly explain something about the Lego. The Lego is actually not that beautiful. It's very insignificant and it is useless. It can only cause pain and frustration by itself. But once you connect it to its friends, to other Legos, it becomes something beautiful. You see, this Lego only finds its significance, its purpose, its use, its beauty, once it's connected to other Legos. In isolation, it's pretty useless and it can only cause pain. Now, I asked my son to build me something with, by using Legos, because I told him, I'm going to tell the people that you are a Lego. Maybe you can just start there. Just turn to the person next to you and tell them you are a Lego. Lego. Okay. You are a Lego. You are a Lego. <laughs> so, the thing with, with, uh, with Legos is, uh, like I said, they're only really special once they're part of something uh, bigger. By themselves, they're not really that special. By themselves, they don't do much. Um, and I actually considered writing a book. And uh, this would be like my first book. And I spoke to the publishers and said, this is the title of my book. They said it won't sell because the, the title of my book was going to be, um, you're special, but you're not the only one. Or it was going to be, you're not that special. Okay? Um, because by yourself... This Lego is actually not that special. Another, then they said, no, I need to reconsider. I said, well, I've got another book uh, coming also. And that one I want to call, You Cannot Change the World. There are many books about how you can change the world. But guess what, friends? You are only a Lego. By yourself. Sorry to burst the bubble. By yourself, you cannot change the world. That's not the way that Legos are designed. They don't change the world by themselves. They only change the world when they fit together with other Legos. <laughs> but by yourself, you cannot change the world. They only become special once they're connected. So I asked my son to build me something. And uh, this was actually quite a bit of a frustration because he's got Lego sets. Every time it's his birthday, he gets a Lego set. And so he's got this red Ferrari car thing. And uh, he's got this blue car. And then he's got this yellow submarine, which I really love. And I said, no, maybe you can build me the submarine. And so this morning... It was just tears, because some of the Lego parts are missing. If you experienced that frustration, and so you couldn't build the thing that he wanted to build, because some of the Lego parts are missing. Now, friends, you are a Lego, <laughs> and we are not the way that we should be when you are not here. You see, sometimes the way that we think about church is that I need to go to church because then there are going to be not only a sermon and worship, but other people. We get that point. There are other people that have got certain gifts that are going to help me in my journey of faith. But just flip that script for a moment. 
what you're missing is that the reason why you should come is because you've got certain things in you that we need. And when you don't pitch up for this community, you're actually robbing us of you. It's actually quite selfish. If this Lego were to say, I'm not going to be part of you know, this big master, masterpiece that I'm supposed to be a part of, that's very self-centered, isn't it? And so we miss the Lego pieces. So Caleb couldn't build what he wanted to build. And then I asked him, what is this? He, he told me it's a, a rocket booster car. Actually, he said it's a rocket booster car. Because <laughs> we bit more Afrikaans. So very pretty. The point is that we are Lego. So let me quickly ask you this question. What kind of being are you? So we, in this series, we're speaking about five ways to rule. And um, the idea is just, uh, just this, that, that God has placed certain principles in the world. And uh, those principles, if you ignore them, you will get hurt. Okay, now obviously there are more principles, and uh, we only chose five that we think are just, you know, relevant for this time, so let's go with those five for now. And don't confuse this with the laws of Moses. We're not speaking about laws, no, now. Like, the, the laws of Moses are no longer actually relevant to us because we only have one law. It's the law of Christ. And so the law of Christ is actually quite simply put to love the people around you. We only have that one law, and that's it, right? So, so we're not speaking about the laws of Moses, not a religious kind of thing. I'm speaking about principles. So let me quickly explain how a principle works. Uh, a principle might be, like in creation, or a law of, of creation would be gravity. I mentioned this last week. Gravity is a law in nature, right? So you can choose to ignore gravity. What will happen when you say, I don't believe in gravity? <laughs> you don't have to believe in it. You're still going to feel it, right? You're going to get hurt if you jump off a building and say, I don't, I don't believe in gravity. You can ignore some of the principles in nature, but you're going to get hurt. And so those are the kind of principles that are really helpful to us once we understand them and say, well, we're going to align ourselves to the way that God created us. So now when we think about a human being, about yourself, about the Lego, think about yourself for a moment. What kind of being are you? Are you a being that is meant to be in isolation by itself, by him or herself? Or are you a being that is meant to fit as part of a bigger whole. That's the way God created you. And so when we ignore that principle and we isolate ourselves, we will get hurt and it will lead to chaos. The way that we bring order to the world, not only to our own world, but to the world around us, is always in community. So the world we live in, so I don't want to go too deep into this because you already know this. The world we live in is an individualistic world, right? It's all about the, the freedom and the rights of the individual. The individual's rights and freedom and opinions is more important than the opinions of the community. The truth that you hold is at some level now more important than the truth that we hold. And so we can really, we struggle, we can't even criticize, we're not allowed to actually differ with one another because the individual is actually worshipped in a sense. Not only individualistic culture we're living in, but also in a very selfish culture. Because if you only focus on the self, you'll become self-ish. That's actually what it just means. Your world is surrounded just around yourself. Now, I mean, in, in Africa, we do have very good examples of more collectivistic cultures, more community-oriented cultures, where the community is more important than the individual. 
the individual only finds its purpose within the community, which actually makes a lot of sense if you read the Bible. But we know that we're living in a Western culture, even though we're in Africa, but we, the, the worldview that we're living in is very more, a lot more individualistic. And we even bring this into the way we do church. And so someone wrote this, and I thought, well, whoa, this is like very convicting, very straightforward. Um, and uh, just commenting on the way we do church. If you think about it, even just the way that the world is set up, everyone's very connected on our phones. We've never been as connected, but yet we've never been as isolated. I mean, just quickly think about the effect of COVID. It was a time of isolation. And if you speak to psychologists, psychiatrists, they will tell you the problem of burnout and depression and even anxiety that's all linked to this idea of isolation is through the roof. It's because we've never been so connected, but we've never been so disconnected. Because the way that we interact with one another in a, like the social media world or wherever is very anonymous. Anonymous. You can say whatever you like and you can quit whenever you like. But that's not the way family works. A family, you can't just leave. If we differ, we're going to sort it out. We stick with one another still. We sort it out, but it's an anonymous culture where we're actually disconnected. So this person wrote, saying, even the way that we do church, think about Sunday, or think about, in this church, community groups is what we call them. It's, it's cell group, small group, life group, whatever you want to call them. When a group of believers come together at a closer proximity, and we sit around just this person, Jesus. We are disciples sitting together. So community groups, even the way we do community groups or the way we do church, this person writes, he says, provide, we provide occasions for individuals to focus on themselves in the presence of others. So we come together and then we focus on ourselves. Even the way that we, you know, sometimes preach is very much aimed at the individual. And we're scared to make a demand on one another because we're not really a, a community culture. And so we basically say to people, come if you have time. Talk if you feel like it. Respect everyone's opinion. So even if you disagree, let's just not say anything about it. Let's never challenge one another. Never criticize anyone. Leave quietly if you become dissatisfied. It's very much the way we do church, right? Never place a demand on one another. We never challenge one another. That's not the way we do family. My family, well, my wife is even a bit too honest sometimes. Not afraid to criticize. You don't just leave, you're here. That's community. So just back on the question, what kind of being did God make you? So let's speak about the community of, or the, the theology of, of community. If you read Genesis chapter 1, so this is when we were created. We were created in the image of God. It's quite interesting. God made everything. He said, wow, this is good. He says, no, 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 I'm not done yet. There's one thing missing. It is, there's something, there's one thing. After creation, that God said it is not good. What was that thing? He said it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for Lego to be alone. Right? Amen. Like we actually spoke about this. I forgot to show the picture, but I thought just as a church, if we want to really not worry about money any, anymore again, we want to make these slippers called Lego slippers and then sell them. Because we'll make lots of money with that. Give all the money to the church, right? Because then parents don't have to worry about Lego being alone, okay? Man was not made to be alone. Lego is not made to be alone. Genesis 1 verse 26. God speaking says, Then God said, Let us 
It's very interesting. If, if, a, if a human being were to say this, you would say the person is schizophrenic. Because if, if I were to say, uh, we are going to have lunch, and you're like, okay, you and? It's like, no, we. Like, you and the voices in your head. But here's the thing. It's qu- quite fascinating in the book of Genesis how there's this, this relationship of God referring to himself in the singular as well as the plural in one sentence. It happens a few times in Genesis where God is referred to the plural as well as the singular because God is one, but he's also three. That's actually where we get our doctrine of the Trinity from. He says, then God said, let us, remember it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are already in relationship. They are already in community. Some theologians uh, that actually write about this, they said, God is community. The reason why we long for community is because God is community and He created us in His image. That is why we are community. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. If you are made in the image of God, in the likeness of God, it means that you are made to be more us than what you are made to be just me. That, that's where I think, you know, the African cultures get this right. I think, if I'm not mistaken, you can correct me if, if I'm wrong. But you know that word Ubuntu? The way that I understand it, it means that, that we are not. No, no. I am not if we are not. I am not if we are not. See, Lego is not if we are not. <laughs> You're going to look at Legos in a different way from now on. That's what I'm trying to get at. Tim Keller says, the Trinity means that God is, in essence, relational. If God is relational, it means that you are made to be relational. And if you are not actively, intentionally living relational lives, then you are missing what God made you to be. You're missing what we've actually been designed to be. And then someone also said this, that we cannot fully image God in isolation. We cannot fully you know, show the likeness of God to the world. We cannot image God in isolation because that's not who God is. And uh, just think about in the Bible, the worst moments are moments of isolation. The best moments are moments actually of community and reconciliation and connection. When Jesus connects us to the Father by dying on the cross, those are the highlights of the Bible, this connection. The moments where, where Jesus prays for his disciples. He only prayed for one thing that they may love one another. He connects us to one another. The Bible keeps on speaking. I'm not going to read all the scriptures about how we are actually put together as a body or as a priesthood, as a temple together. We are put together. And so God connects us with them, but he also connects us with one another. Those are the highlights in scripture, the lowlights of scripture. Adam and Eve sin. What do they do? You isolate yourself. You isolate. We do this, right? I don't know if you've ever had that moment where you really messed up. Not only does that create distance between you and God, like you isolate yourself. You don't want to go to church because you feel too guilty. That's actually the place where you should go to get like, the love and the acceptance and the grace of people and God around you. But once we really mess up, we isolate ourselves, not only from God, but we isolate ourselves from people. because We can't look people in the eye. And so Adam and Eve, a Cain, after he killed Abel, Abel, Abel. After Cain killed Abel, he was isolated, sent away. Jacob steals his brother's birthright. He runs away. There's isolation, those moments. Judas, after betraying Jesus, isolates himself. 
the lowest point in Jesus' life was when he was hanging on the cross saying, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Isolation bad, <laughs> community good. <laughs> in essence, that's what we're saying. I want to give you three reasons why living connected to others is important to you. Now, at the end, I mean, I, I'm a very practical person. So, so today, I would love for you, practically, I would love for every person to take one step closer to community, whatever that might mean to you. Whether it be, okay, I'm not going to only come to church once every six weeks, I'm going to come more regularly to be with the people of God. Whether it be, I'm not yet part of a group, I'm going to join a group. Or whether it be, I'm already part of a group, but I want to go deeper with some of those people in that group. Go deeper when it comes to a relationship. Whatever it might be for you, my hope is that you would take one step closer to the people that God has put around you. And what I'm not doing is selling the program of the church. Because I know I'm going to give you three reasons why it's good for you to be in community. And then you're probably thinking, well, he's going to sell it afterwards. Like, here are the cards. You have to sign up for a community group. All of you have to be in one. No, like, that's not really the point. I'm going to give you three reasons why it is essential for you, for your own health, to be in community. And friends, as a church, like, it's not like this brand outside of this room. This is the church. And as a church, together with the other leaders that are passionate about this community, we don't want something from you. We want something for you, something that we've discovered in community and invite you into that. So three reasons. The first one, community will always lead to better health and happiness. If you were to go speak to Pierre and Diana, they are psychologists, they will tell you a strong correlation between isolation and depression and any other illnesses. But not only mental illnesses, I know we do this, we separate mental illnesses from physical illnesses, but we shouldn't actually do that. But there's actually a correlation that people have uh, researched. So forget about just mental illnesses, physical illnesses. That there's a correlation between isolation and disrupted sleep patterns, elevated blood pressure, and increased cortisol. Cortisol is the, the stress hormone in your body, and if there's too much of that, it makes you sick, literally, physically. Among older people, uh, if you are living connected to other people, if your life is connected to other people, not only is it a better quality of life and that you're happier, but there's also a lower risk of dementia and mental decline. With younger people, if you are living in isolation, it increases the risk of obesity, infl inflammation in your body, and high blood pressure, which can also lead to heart disease, stroke, and even cancer. There was an interesting study done. Uh, I listened to a talk that the Villiers sent me the other day, and they spoke about a study that was done in Australia on 500 women that had breast cancer, that, that, that had uh, lumps in their breast developed at such a size that they had to have a biopsy. And so they looked at these 500 women and tried to look for correlations in their life. And so some of the things they tested was the correlation between experiencing trauma and developing cancer. And... Uh, they looked at that, and they found no correlation. No correlation between trauma and developing that breast cancer. And then they looked at the 500 women also, and they looked at isolation. How many of these women had experienced isolation? And also, there was no correlation directly. And they looked at a number of other things also. But what they found is when one of these ladies had experienced trauma as well as isolation in their life, they had a nine times more likelihood of developing the breast cancer. Very strong correlation. So what's the point there? Is that as a human being, when life happens, 
you can get through it if you are connected to other people. One of the things that, that, that God has given you uh, for health or to be able to handle difficult things in this world is community around you. But when a person is in isolation and then also experience trauma, you can physically get sick of it. You're not made for it. We are made to be in community. So the point is to live connected to one another. And if not, there's going to be dire consequences. That's the way we've been designed. Now, obviously, you didn't come for a medical talk, and even the medical talk is not that good. So you can come correct me afterwards, Chris. He's a doctor. Um, explain the medicine part to me a bit better afterwards. But let me give you a second reason why community is so important. The second reason is community means you can find meaning and purpose in life. It's, it's the Lego block. This by itself, it cannot change the world. But the way that it fits into a bigger whole, whole, it becomes the masterpiece that God is busy with. So there's a scripture, 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Now, when it speaks here, this passage is not speaking about the individual. It's speaking about us, a church. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. It's, it's to, to declare the excellencies of God. And it's, what it's actually saying, it's referring to, this applies to a body, plural, that we are called to declare the excellencies of God in our city. Not us as individuals. When I say we, I do mean we as a collective. There's something that God can do, not only in us, but through us, that He cannot do with the one Lego. Because He didn't make us like that. He didn't make us like that. Ed Stetson says, one of the reasons many believers are unengaged in mission." It's because they are unengaged in community. The reason why you might feel I don't experience purpose and meaning in my life, maybe because you're not engaged in a community. It's within the context of community that those gifts of yours are expressed and also where other people are putting wind in your sails to become more of who God called you to be. If you want meaning and purpose in your life, can't do it alone. doesn't happen alone. Romans 12, verse 4 to 5. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So the point is, everyone's unique. It's fine to be different to the person next to you. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I love that. Each member belongs to the others. It's speaking about like possession are you saying we belong we are one another's possession yes that's community that's true community this hand belongs to this hand they are connected in that way that the members actually belong to one another and so that, that's the point of when you exclude yourself from community it's not only that you are missing out but we are missing out that's when my boy was crying because he couldn't Build his submarine because some of the blocks are not there. <laughs> See, it's very easy for us to realize, okay, I need other people to help me. But we forget that God wants to use you because we need you. And we belong to one another. That's why we can sometimes put a demand on one another's lives. 
not a selfish demand on one another's life. So it's to my benefit. That's manipulation. But a godly demand saying, no, 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 no. I'm struggling to be without you. We're not created to only appreciate community. We are incomplete without it. We're incomplete without it. Third point is community is discipleship. So we spoke about this idea of, okay, it's good for you, benefits health-wise, but also calling and purpose. If you want that in your life, you need community. But thirdly, for your discipleship. Discipleship is the degree to which you are becoming more and more like Jesus. The reason why you came here tomorrow, uh, this morning is because you believe you are a follower of Christ, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't have come. You love Jesus, and you want to be more like Jesus. That's why you come. How do we become more like Jesus? One of the tools that God uses to make us more like Jesus is community. Let's quickly just look at the way the church did it in the early days. So after Jesus was resurrected, the Holy Spirit poured out. This is what they did. Acts 2 verse 46 it says, every day they devoted themselves. This is quite interesting. It wasn't like the leaders devoted the people. The people devoted, they were devoted to this. It was a, not a nice to have, if I don't have, you know, I don't know, family engagements and birthday parties on, then I will engage in this. But it was a devotion to it, a, a priority in my life. They devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They came together like we're coming together in this beautiful temp temple of Alapa that we are meeting in. But they also broke bread in their homes. That's where church happens. It's in the house, in one another's homes. That's where we do church. Now, just, just quickly on this thing of devotion, like I'm very sensitive that people would never hear this kind of preaching and think that God will be dissatisfied if I don't go to church. This is not a religious thing we do. It's not like God's like, oh, I'm so happy. I would have had a bad day, but now I've got a good day because you decided to go to church, right? It's not a religious rule that we go to church. It's just that's who we are as Christians. Christians love to meet. It's like fish swim. Christians, they come together. That's what we do. In our house, if you were to ask my boys, it's not a religious rule. We sometimes, like when they're a little bit ill or whatever, we give that liberty in our home that sometimes... They're not going to have to go to church. When they are teenagers, I'm going to allow them to sometimes stay at home because I don't want them to have a religious connection with church. But if you were to ask my boys, like even next Sunday, my, my boys and I, we're going to be on the beach because I've got a friend turning 40 in, in KZN, so we're going to go down for that, and we're going to do church there. I'm going to think of you, but I'm going to be on the beach, right? It's not a religious thing, but if you were to ask my boys, what kind of day is Sunday? Like, they're struggling with the day still, but they wake up in the morning, they ask me, is it a school day? And so they figured out Monday to Friday, that, that's a school day. Saturdays, that's like a holiday. That's family day. They love Sundays, but if you ask them, what happens on Sundays? They're going to say it's Kerkdag. Church day. Church day. That's what we do. It's part of our rhythm. And that's not myself and Karin, like, we're not very religious people. Like, we don't do it because we feel God's going to be angry if we don't go to church. That's just who we are. It's who we are, and that's why that's who we are as a family. We love being with the people of God. Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. How will you get better at love and good deeds? By being with the people of God. They're going to spur you on. If you want to become more like Jesus, you know Jesus loved people. 
and he did a lot of good things. If you want to be more like Jesus, a preach won't do it. You have to be spurred on by other believers around you. And then it goes on to verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. So just if you want to become more like Jesus. So they say in psychology that there are four things that may basically determines who you are as a person. Okay? So uh, these four things, and uh, there might be more, but these are f- some four of the main things. The first one is th- that, that makes up who you are um, is the stories that you tell yourself, the stories you believe. It's the truths and the lies that you believe about yourself. That will create who you are. That's why even psychologists, they do that, what do you call it, cognitive behavioral therapy. So they help you to rewrite the story that you believe about yourself. Very helpful, Right. So the stories you believe, that's the first thing that makes up who you are. Secondly, it's the habits. You are what you do. You are what you constantly do. You can tell me that you are a fitness junkie, but if you never exercise, you're not a fitness junkie. It will be evident in your life, (laughs) in the body. You are your habits. So that's the second thing that makes up who you are. Then the third thing is you are the product of your relationships. You are your relationships. You will become like the people you spend your time with. It's as simple as that. And then the fourth thing is your environment. Like we all live in 2022 in Bloemfontein. The reason why you think a Toyota Hilux Bucky is attractive is because you see them all the time. Right. So, so we, we are influenced by our environment. Now, when it comes to Christianity, if you want to be transformed and reformed, this, this new creation that you are now, to become more of that, if you want to become more like Jesus, it's the same thing, friends. It's at those levels that we get discipled. So the first one is we change the story, the truth and the lies. That is why we teach in church, the preaching of the word. So right with that, we tell you the new, we tell one another in church, the new truth about who you are and also the lies of the world. And that starts to shape you. The problem, however, is that's where we stop in church sometimes. We only do teaching. We were joking earlier now, but... You know, those Sunday mornings where you consider, let me just stay at home and just watch a sermon online. I'm going to do church at home. You can't. That's an oxymoron. You can't do church at home because the definition of church is sitting around other Christians. So you're not churching at home when you're listening to a sermon. You're listening to a sermon. Is it bad to listen to a sermon? No, not at all. It's great. Do that by all means. Right. I listen to a lot of sermons, but I know It's only a part of my discipleship. That is not the sum of my discipleship. It's only one part of it. And so the first part is that we teach in church. The second thing is spiritual practices. We we teach and help one another to actually apply what Jesus did. You know when you taught when when you actually learned how to read your Bible? Was it when someone was teaching about it, or was it when you opened your Bible for the first time and you started reading and you experienced think this is what God is trying to say to me. Well, this is actually relevant to that thing in my life. That's when you started reading your Bible or learned how to do it. It's when you actually practice it. You do it. You start praying, not by hearing sermons about prayer, but by praying. You start being generous, not by hearing about generosity, but that first rand that you give away. You start being kinder like Jesus was when you start practicing kindness. And so discipleship is more than just teaching. 
And then the third part is your relationships form you. So in other words, in church, it's community. We say, well, if we want to become more like Jesus, we're going to be intentional about the Jesus relationships we put ourselves in. We're going to put ourselves in relationships with other people that are also in love with Jesus. And that way, we're going to become more and more like Jesus. We need community. Even to do the practicing and to hear more truth and see the lies of the world, we need community. So as a Christian, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you will stagnate in your discipleship if you are alone. But you will grow as a disciple if you're connected to others. Quick example, myself um, and Franku and Janu, the two guys in our church, earlier this year, we decided to read through the book of Mark together. And what we did is we didn't have time to meet up, so we just did like a voice note. Unfortunately, Janru and Franku, they speak a lot, and I also speak a lot, so it was more like we sent podcasts to one another. So just like these voice notes, every second chapter that we read, we said, this is what I feel God's saying, but this is how it applies to my life. And we're very open. Our, I want to call it like our spiritual relationship, because we chat a lot about rugby and about Bri, a lot. But in that time, our relationship, when it comes to my discipleship with Jesus, it went to another level. And in that moment, like in that season, I remember so well, Franku and Janru are passionate people. And even though I'm a pastor, I'm not always just on fire for Jesus. I need people around me to get me going also. And in that moment or that, that season, it was so good for my passion. I need to be with other people if I, if I not want to stagnate in my, in my discipleship journey with Jesus. Just real practical, um, last week, and then I'll ask the worship team to come. Last week, I uh, had a rough week just with some friends. So on the Tuesday, I had a conversation with my good friend, Estion, and uh, we are in discipleship relationships with one another. He loves Jesus, I love Jesus, and we know one another enough and trust one another enough that we can be honest with one another. And he was very honest with me. I didn't need to be honest with him because he's a very good disciple of Jesus. And, uh, but he was saying a whole bunch of things. And afterwards, I thought about them. And I thought, like, yeah, some of them are it's not nice to hear. And the reason why they hurt was because it was true. <laughs> and then two days later, Thursday, myself and Eugene, he also works for the church. We were sitting in the office. And, man, we just opened up our hearts. And there were some things that we haven't said to, to one another. And both of us started crying. He said sorry about stuff. I said sorry about stuff. And, and we were speaking about things we're seeing in one another's lives. Both of us crying. And then that afternoon, I went for a coffee with another guy in church, Christy. And uh, um, he was here in our first service. And I just experienced, even before going, I experienced, I need to tell Christy, Christy, I love you and I'm sorry. I don't know what I'm sorry for yet, but you're going to tell me now. And I meant that in a, you know, in a humble way. Like, like, please tell me like, what I feel like I'm missing something. Tell me about it. So Christy took the liberty to be very honest with me. And it hurt. It really did. But I really appreciated it. And then the next day, as if that wasn't enough, the Friday... My wife and I, we were having a nice date night, which she spoiled with her honesty. Because we started speaking, and, the, and then she felt the need to just also speak into my life. And as you guys know, your wife will always be more honest than your friends. Why? Because your wife loves you more than what your friends love you. 
And she started explaining to me how I'm missing certain things. And afterwards, I told her, you know, this, this, was, this has been a rough week. I feel a little bit tender <laughs> this moment. And she pointed something out. Like, there's two things we spoke about that in that moment. The first one, she said, you know how amazing it is that you've got people in your life that care enough that you can disappoint them. I know it sounds like a super optimism to, uh, optimism to say something like that, but you're connected enough to people that what you do affects them. You can disappoint someone. That's a privilege, to have people in your life that loves you. And then secondly, that they're willing to be honest. That, that's love. And then we spoke about that second part, is that after these very tough conversations, I know I'm taking steps toward Jesus. <laughs> I'm becoming more like Jesus. And it wouldn't have been possible by listening to some sermons. <laughs> not saying that's unimportant. Obviously, the Holy Spirit uses those things also. But because there's people in my life close enough to tell me what I'm missing, it's drawing me to become more like Jesus. Do you have people like that in your life? It is a privilege. If you want to become more like Jesus, take a step closer to community, to having people around you that can identify those things in your life. Worship team, you guys can join me um, in the front. So I want to invite you today. I want to end off with something now in a moment. But before that, after today, you don't have to sign up somewhere. Unless you feel like, no, I need to sign up for a community group. That's me. Or want to be part of a ladies' Bible study. Whatever the case might be, let us know. We'll try and find something for you. But even if you're already in a group, just to ask yourself that question, which of my relationships do I want to go a level deeper? so that I can see more discipleship in my life. We're not made to live, be, uh, to do life alone. I want to maybe just quickly close off with something um, that's quite fascinating. And uh, it's about this idea that Jesus changed the world, right? We know that Jesus is the most influential figure in history. Uh, all of the surveys or that, that speak about or would write the article about that, everyone will agree that his impact in the way that we've approached, even the way we write constitutions and laws and the way people, uh, you know, would say what is right and wrong, the fact that there is something like orphanages all around this world is by the impact of Jesus, right? And so uh, we did a bit of research and spoke about, uh, and just read about the most influential figures in history. So most influential military figure would probably be Alexander the Great. He was a king of ancient Greek in the kingdom of Macedonia. He spent most of his ruling years on an unprecedented military campaign through Asia and Northeast Africa. And he created one of the largest empires of the ancient world. By the age of 30, he was undefeated in battle and is widely considered as one of history's most successful military commanders. What about inventors? Leonardo da Vinci, known for the nice stuff he drew also, very creative. But he invented a whole bunch of things also. He was without a doubt the most diversely talented man in his, of his time. And many historians believe that a, a mind and personality like his comes only once every thousand years. Because of the multiple interests that spurred him to pursue various fields of knowledge, da Vinci is widely considered the archetype or arch archetype of the term genius and the greatest inventor who ever lived. I mean, if you want to explain what is genius, Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> what about Mozart? 
Mozart started composing at the age of five, and by the time he was 35, he had already composed 600 masterpieces. And at the time of his death, it was said that the world would not see such talent for the next 100 years, but it's been over 200 years, and no one has come close to the genius of Mozart. Albert Einstein, the German-born theoretical physicist and Nobel Prize winner, work is credited as having the single greatest influence on the philosophy of science. He developed the general theory of relativity, relativity and it's one of the two pillars for all of modern physics is built on that theory. What about business? John D. Ra Rockefeller, he started the company Standard Oil, which at one stage controlled 90% of oil, all the oil in the United States. The Supreme Court ruled in 1911 that Standard Oil must be dismantled and it was broken up into 34 separate entities, some of which still have the highest level of revenue in the world. At his peak, his net worth was estimated at $409 billion, and that's in 1913. Elon Musk is the richest man alive today. It's around $200 billion. Twice that, 1913. Politician Julius Caesar, he was, according to most historians, and political analyst, the most important figure in Roman history. He was a great strategist and, gen uh, and general, but also a charismatic politician who changed the form of government in Rome while his conquest laid the foundation for developments of Europe and Western culture. But everyone would agree, the impact that Jesus had in society is still bigger. He's the most influential man. And how did he accomplish this? How did Jesus do it? He did not mobilize a single army. He did not invent anything. He did not compose one bit of music. He did not come up with a single scientific theory. He did not own a single business. And he was not the head of a single political party. So how exactly is Jesus credited as the most influential person of all time? How did he do it? He started a community group of 12 people. And the rest is history. That's what he did. Think about it. That's what Jesus did. He drew men close to one another, saying, we're going to do life together. His prayer at the end of his life was, Lord, help them that they would love one another. <laughs> Jesus did not only come to connect us to the Father. He came also to connect us to other people. And one of the biggest gifts that God has given you is a body of believers. I want to invite you to take a step closer. And you'll see if your life feels like one piece of Lego, it can become part of a masterpiece that God is busy with. Let's stand together. And so in this moment, an appropriate response would be to take communion together. And so I want to invite you. There's a table to my left and a table at the back. Just quickly go there and take communion with someone. So here's the only rule. Don't do it alone. Just stand with someone. If you're two or three people that you trust, and just pray together and say, thank you, Jesus, for connecting us to our Father. But also, Jesus, thank you for these two people that are busy praying with me right now. Let's do that right now. Thank you for tuning in. If you would like to know more about us, you can visit our website or follow us on social media at Doxadeo Bloemfontein North. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. See you next time.